0: if you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec/lovealways.
1: This is Bishop Michael Curry and you're listening to The Way of Love.
0: Welcome to The Way of Love podcast with Bishop Michael Curry, a podcast about following Jesus and changing the world. I'm your host, Sandy Milien. In this episode, Bishop Curry talks with the very Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary. This audio comes from the 2020 International Black Clergy Conference, presented by the Episcopal Church's Office of Black Ministries. To worship on the way of love is to gather in community weekly to thank, praise, and dwell with God. Dean Brown Douglas and Bishop Curry discuss their understanding of being black Episcopalians and the lessons that the whole church can learn from the earliest days of Black church through the present day.
1: We have got to learn from Jesus of Nazareth who did not internalize the oppression of the Roman Empire. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Jesus went back into his heritage and discovered how God would lead him And that's how his way would set folk free. I am convinced that if we take this gospel seriously, it will really set us free and help us to become instruments of God setting us free.
0: As we explore our relationships with God, as we draw closer to God, we will find ourselves in turn, drawing closer to each other.
2: So Bishop Curry, I'm not sure what time of day, we will actually be holding this conversation in uh, terms of when it is seen, but I can say to you today, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Uh, uh, good morning. And it is so good, as always, to be brought into conversation with you. And likewise so, with you. <laughs> thank you. So I thank uh, the Office of Black Ministries for making this opportunity available to us. Let's let's jump in into this conversation, and and I want to begin this conversation by really talking about what it means for us to be not simply church, but Black church, mm-hmm. in as much as we think of church as being about a people called out, right? By God to be in some way a manifestation of God's work in the world, which means then being a manifestation of God's work where God is moving us toward God's just future, or as Martin Luther King would say, and as you uh, in the Episc- in the presiding bishop's office are saying, the beloved community, uh, the, or as Jesus called it, the kingdom of God, that our task as church is to be that sort of manifestation of that work in the world. So my question then becomes, given our history as a black church that emerged out of the hush harbors of slavery and formed by our African religious tradition that allowed us to understand that the religion of our slaveholders, where as Frederick Douglass said, right, where the church bell rang in together with the auctioneer's bell, slave auctioneer's bell. it that, it, that, that, tradition of which we are part that allowed us to understand that the slaveholders' religion and the religion that is reflected in Jesus Christ weren't the same. Given all of that, I want us to begin to talk about what difference being Black means to being church. What does it mean to be Black church, because it has to mean something different than simply uh, how indeed we have been blessed by Ebony Grace. It Mm -hmm. has to mean something different than that. And so I first wanna ask, what Mm -hmm. difference does it make for who we are on the public square? Yeah. In a time that's not unlike a time 50 years ago when uh, the, during the Black Power Movement and we had leaders like Nathan Wright, right? Uh, To John Burgess, who began to talk about what it meant to be Black church in relationship to the Black Power Movement and what we could learn from them. What's it mean now in this context of BLM? What can we learn from them
1: Mm. about being Black church? You know, I think what we can learn um, from Black Lives Matter movement, from the movements that are emerging among the young, Mm -hmm. um, which is always where the movements actually happen. I mean, historically, that's been the case. Um, I mean, Dr. King was in his 30s when when he died. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth himself was 33 when he was crucified. So there is something about people like me at 67, we like to reflect on the past. Uh, uh, folk who are uh, young actually like to change the future. <laughs> so there's some something there, I think. But I do think what the the framework for what we as church can learn from Black Lives Matter and from the movements that are emerging now is what the Bible means when in John, in the prologue of John's Gospel, um, it says of the coming of Jesus into the world. It says, and the word became flesh Mm -hmm. and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We must continually ask ourselves the question how is the word, the eternal word of God, being translated into the language of time, into the language of our situation, into the language of our condition? How is the word of God? Taking flesh and dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. And how is that happening in BLM? How is that happening when there were on the protests in the streets? How is that happening when when our young are yearning for justice and righteousness and for love? They actually are claiming it. Um, how? I mean, what 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 can we learn? I think they're teaching us. So the question going back to the question you were asking in part is black church. I want to suggest that the black church today has a heritage that can be translated into the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us right now. Let me tell you quickly what I mean. And I don't mean just kind of the sentimentality of the 150th anniversary or something like that. I mean, that's important, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is the deep origin Um, of the historic Black church. Go back to E. Franklin Frazier, the Black church, or the Negro church in America. He um, said we
2: were a nation within a nation. Say it again? He said we were a nation within a nation as Black
1: That's exactly right. And he recognized that the unique reality of the Black church or the Negro church, as he was calling it in his time, um, was that it had two points of origin, three actually. One, it's African religious traditions, Mm -hmm. the various traditions that were brought together on those slave ships. Um, to the linking of those traditions and the folk with Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, and a version of Christianity that was very often perverted uh, and distorted the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, they tried to leave him out as much as they could, anyway, right. um, because he was not helpful to the cause of enslaving folk. Um, never has been, and never will be. But anyway, but but that you had that coming together, and then you had the two historic. Um, Um, origins of the actual church itself. You had the institutional church up north where you had some freed blacks, um, you know, Absalom Jones, Richard Allen, um, uh, uh, Peter Williams, uh, Barrick, you know, you can go through those lists of folk in Philadelphia and and New York and um, Boston and those folk. Um, So you have the institutional church, but then you had the invisible institution, which is really mama, And that was the church that happened among slaves in this country where they went to the Episcopal church um, during the day with Massa and Missy, I mean, because that's what they had to do. And right. so they sat in the back or they sat on the wagons or whatever. And a lot of those churches were, I mean, Episcopalians were one of the largest slave owners in the South. And well, so they went to church, right? Um, and then they would come back and Sunday was usually a day of rest for folk. And at, at Sunday evening, they would steal away to Jesus. Um, steal away, steal away Long, steal away Jesus. I ain't got time to stay here. They would steal away to Jesus. And sometimes that mo- somebody meant somebody was escaping. Sometimes right. that meant Harriet Tubman was in the neighborhood and it's time for y'all to make a move, time to decide. And sometimes that meant said we can't escape right now, but we can go to our own church. And they went and had their own church, um, that invisible, and that's what he calls the invisible institution. That is the origin. Of the real black shirt, you see them getting in.
2: Yeah, it's right
1: there that they declared their freedom, in spite of what they had been told in the catechisms that distorted Christianity, in spite of what they had heard Sunday morning. It was there. Howard Thurman has that wonderful story where he talks about um, his son, his ancestors, his grandmother talking about the ancestors and some old preacher who used to preach in that invisible institution, whatever it was he was talking about, he always ended his sermon by saying, you are not niggers, you are not slaves, you are the children of God. Uh, Dean, that's the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That is the model and the paradigm for the black church that the black church can offer to black and brown and indigenous communities that we can offer to the whole church to discover you are not creatures of this word. You are not what this world tries to make you out to be. You are the children of God. Live like the children of God. Walk like you see what I'm saying? That's heritage. Okay. I'm sorry.
2: So so no, 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 no. Preach, preach. But so, okay, let's take that, right? And that, you know, yes, that's a part of the African religious heritage that is informing them that, you know, they knew, as I always say, that while their enslavers may have introduced them to Christianity, they didn't introduce them to God. And so they knew the God that knew them in freedom and that created them to be free and that God came with them across the Middle Passage so they understood that they were not meant to be slaves, that they were not created uh, to be slaves. They knew that they were created free and that God knew them in freedom and they and and, and they knew that God in freedom. So that was that mm-hmm. thing that helped them resist any notion that they were ever created to be enslaved. However, even... even at, and and not list, not out, however. And even as they understood that, that freedom was not simply something that that they set on because that freedom, while yes, they went back and they prayed and et cetera, et cetera, and they were able to have that internal sense of self that they were not slaves. Mm-hmm. But that that invisible institution also gave birth to Nat Turner, to Denmark Vesey, oh, yeah. to, Prosser, right? right? The people who led, who to Henry Highland Garnett, who yeah. said that you have a moral obligation. You have a moral yeah. obligation to fight for your freedom, to go out there. It gave birth to David Walker, right? And David Walker's appeal, even as it gave birth to a Maria Stewart, he got a moral obligation, yeah. Henry Highland Garnett said. So now here's the thing. So let's let's bring this to where we are, Bishop Curry. So okay. how is it? That, you know, BLM looks at us and they say, now, what makes you as black church, as black people in that 90 percent white church, what makes you any more credible to us And, uh, and than that wider church? What is it about you? Because they're looking at the Christian church and they say, whoa, they're saying what? Uh, Frederick Douglass said about uh, the Christian church in his time. They're saying what Vincent Harding said about American Christianity in and, and his time. They're saying, whoa, whoa, uh, uh, this church is indeed not church. And so what is it about us being Black that how come BL, BLM can say that to us? How is it that we can, what, how, what difference does it make that we have that heritage that you're talking about—a heritage not in, of the invisible institution that gave birth to Henry Highland Garnet and and others? What difference does that make, and how do we live that out onto the public square?
1: That's where, and I'm gonna go back to that text: the word must become flesh and dwell among us. What's it look like? It is to say the church today um, must become an incarnational institution in the community where it dwells, in the community in which we live. And it must do that by becoming a part of that community. It, it must do that by becoming a part of the issues um, of that community. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm a bishop now, so I'm, I'm not a parish priest anymore. When I was in Baltimore, we became part of um, a build, about part of the community organizing organization that was involved in issues in our Harlem Park, Lafayette Square neighborhood community. And we became very involved with that, involved in bringing um, the churches, uh, the the religious community that was in West Baltimore and that part of West Baltimore. uh, Did the same thing in Lincoln Heights and the same thing um, in Winston-Salem when it was there. But the point was the church must become incarnate in the community where it is. It must work on behalf, selflessly, on behalf of the good and the welfare of that community um, it must do the Jeremiah thing and work on behalf of the welfare of the city, because in the welfare of the city is our own welfare. When the so, church does that, you see, then then Black Lives Matter um, is part of that work. We're participating with them in that work in some way, shape, manner or form. Um, and and so it may be um, I, I'll, I'll give you an example, not from Black Lives Matter, but but from um, um, I'm getting old now. Uh, uh uh north dakota there you are but i'm not <laughs> yes yes my young sister yes uh the the, the the Sioux, um the pipeline um
2: oh yeah yeah yep yep in uh south
1: dakota in south dakota yeah. uh standing rock standing rock that, that um the indigenous community the sioux nation um made a decision that they were going to resist having a pipeline built on their sacred burial lands um, and also crossing the river that was the source of water for their community. Um, They knew that they were being exploited um, and they rose up and the Sioux Nation um organized that. Um, and that whole pre- it's it's actually gained some success. It's taken forever. It's had to go through the courts, um, but it's actually gained some success. They they lost some, won some. Um, it was, it was a it's a new civil rights struggle um, for indigenous folk. The the church, I remember when I went to Standing Rock, um, I went and, and celebrated Eucharist at the Episcopal Church, um, right on, on the res, on the reservation itself. Mm-hmm. The Episcopalians, the folk um, uh, of that church, were a part of that whole movement. Um, Father John Floberg and all the mm-hmm. other folk who were involved, they were all um, involved. And what they did was, the old folk couldn't get out and march, because um, uh, when we're at the camp, at the Standing Rock camp, those were young, young folk. Um, and they were riding horses bareback. They would do. I mean, I remember they would come running through the camp, or riding through the camp bareback and stuff. And I said, Ain't no old folk gonna be able to do that. The young ones got to do that. But you know what the folk at the church did? They made they made sandwiches. Um, they made, they they served as chaplains. Um, they served as support and advisors. They were a part of the movement. Um, mm-hmm. They couldn't do what they could do when they were in their 20s, but they could do something now in their 70s. And they were doing it. That may sometimes be the role of the church. Not always to take the lead, because we may not have the energy to do that, but to take our part, whatever that happens to be. And when we do that, then they don't ask anymore, what use are you? When yeah. the word becomes flesh, folk will see it and they'll know and understand. Um people know who William Barber is. Right. People in the communities know about the poor people campaign. They know they don't ask does that have any relevance. Now, you seen them getting that No. Oh. I, no, I'm sorry. No, I do. So because that's a critique if they've
2: got to ask that question, where are you? Then the, and that's a critique on us and I often say that you know, to call ourselves church Is aspirational, and so that's a critique on us, and maybe, maybe uh, as well to call ourselves black church uh, uh, is is aspirational. You know, Jim Cohn said some 50 years ago that to be Black is to be Christian, and to be Christian is, is to be Black. And he meant that beyond the demographic and beyond uh, uh, the melanin. ethnicity and race, right? right, melanin. He meant that in terms of our mission and our commitment, right? And so it's an indictment. Uh, up on us when someone like BLM or anybody else can say so you know where's the church and or can look at those of us who are blessed with ebony grace and say so where's the black church so but but i have this other uh, other question when you talk about and i agree with you that we don't always have to take the lead we have to listen we have to be proximate and we have to learn from those people who are on the ground Yet, or and you know, Martin Luther King said that instead of being a thermometer, the church needs to be the thermostat, right? It needs to set in essence the temperature where people where we gotta get to. It needs to lead the way of where we have to go. And this is the way in which I say, you know, we're we're on the other side by the time this. we're on the other side of of an election, right? And so we heard in so many respects, you know, people, well, we can't be partisan, we can't do this. Well, you know what? But in no matter what election, no matter what time, no matter who the candidates are, there's one thing that holds steady. Mm -hmm. And that is our values, and out to which that to which we are accountable, God's just future. And if that holds steady, then we are, in some ways, to always act in all times and in all places as the thermostat, mm-hmm. right? As as the ones setting the bar, leading the way, you know, live, we tell people vote your values, live our values, live as if, live into the just future that God has promised for us all and get us there. So that sometimes, let's say, while we listen contextually to the people, but we, we set a bar, how, oh, yeah. how to be black in church, my goodness, you know, that's what it means to be black in church. So how, how have we failed or how have, I, yeah, not how we've done it. How have we failed in not doing that? I I think of that Bishop Curry in relationship to this call to defund the police, right? That, that, that forget the word defund, that should have been our call. We should have led the way in talking about the creation of just communities, not about policing communities, but about safe communities, about, and safety means just communities. Where have we been? These are our Black, these communities are disproportionately Black communities, and they're living in unsafe conditions where people are policing them. We should have been talking about community responders and not police, that everything doesn't need a police. It shouldn't have taken Taken BLM and then they talk about defunding and nobody wants to talk about where are how are we setting the thermostat where are we in all of
1: this what where, where I, should we be in all of this I, I think there's a holistic approach to it I, I really do because I think every church congregation um is a place ought to be a place that doesn't now again I'm talking beyond the pandemic when we're not in the pandemic right now ought to be a place that is a beehive of community uplift, which is to say, if a church building is just sitting there during the week and opening up on Sunday for folk to come and worship, and that, you know, have Sunday school, and that's about it, then it's not doing its work. It is not following in the footsteps of Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the sandy land of Palestine. Um, And so we must, but that's what I mean by the word must become flesh. It's got to be embodied. We need to be seven day a week churches. We need to be churches that are educating children when they get off. from school. We need to be um, churches that are providing the context for children to grow and develop and nurture into all that God intends for them to be. We need to be churches that are involved with other churches and religious communities in our neighborhood and neighborhood associations for the advancement and well-being of our neighborhoods and that kind of thing. We need to be involved when we were part of Build. Build, um, We started by trying to move a liquor store from across the street from the Hughes School because the little kindergarten children had to come out of the school. That was our first action that Build helped us organize. And we finally, it took forever to get the liquor authorities to to rezone so that children coming out of kindergarten wouldn't have to look at a liquor store and look at folk dealing drugs at that liquor store because that's what was really going on there. Um, So that was the beginning, but they helped Helped us organize with other religious communities. And this was black and white. This was ecumenical. This was interfaith um, across the spectrum. And we began advocating for a living wage for the hotel yeah. workers who were, you see what I'm getting at? My point yeah. is, you can work through the community organizing. You do the service and ministry and work in the community and you do it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you don't you don't hide who you are. Don't put that light under a bushel. Be who you are. Evangelism and social justice must walk together hand in hand. Uh, you see what I'm getting at? Witness to, to this gospel, but do it not just with words, but with deeds. A seven-day-a-week church. You see what I'm getting at? And that will move you to engaging living wage. That will move you to engaging uh, poverty in America. See, nobody on the political campaign can talk. They have to talk about the middle class. Right, right. Talk about poor people and run for office in this country. So that's okay. I better understand. That's how the game is played because you got to get in office before you can do something.
2: But we have to talk about poor people. We can exactly because that's where Jesus was, right? So, so Jesus was with those. The only way Jesus made clear the cross makes clear. I always say, you know, Bishop Curry, that we are and I, I. With you, that we have to be incarnate because we are a faith tradition with an incarnate God, it's a sinner, and a cross a going cross. You talk about King and, and Jesus dying in their 30s, they didn't die because of bad health, they right. died and they didn't die because they prayed too much. They were crucified, they were right. crucified because they held themselves accountable to God's just future and they embody that right and that's and and the world said and the world said no to that and the world killed them and crucified them for that and so but they crucified them because they it in holding themselves accountable they knew that the way that the way to that just future was from those people who are on the most underside of it the poor the outcasts the marginalized the utter marginalized, and that's the only way. When they begin to talk about justice, then we know we're on the way to justice. And so you were right that the politicians may not talk about the poor, but if we're gonna be church, if we have to talk about the poor and we have to hold them accountable. And guess who else we gotta hold accountable? We gotta hold ourselves accountable to that, right? so yeah, otherwise otherwise we aren't we aren't being church i, I want to talk i know we're supposed to this is an international conference so i want to say something about yeah. Our yeah. being being in in the di- diaspora as well and what does what that means what blackness means what's our accountability one one to another i'm 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 just always struck by um the fact and and i've heard you speak on this uh sometimes that The way in which, you know, here we are people who know what it means to be oppressed. Yeah. We know what it means to have the quote-unquote gospel used as a weapon against us, right? We know what that means. We know what it means to have a religion that terrorizes, right? We know what that means. Yet, sometimes, sometimes, Mm. We do that, which was done to us.
1: To us,
0: yeah.
2: How, you know, and to me, that's not simply betraying what it means to be Christian. It's betraying what it means to be Black. And if to be Black is to be Christian, and to be Christian is to be Black. What are the ways
1: in which we have betrayed our very Blackness? We have, and, and, and I think this is universal, um, you know, we, we have, and, and this is a dynamic of oppression and op- a dynamic of oppression that the oppressed, sometimes just as a survival mechanism, internalizes the oppression itself and very often becomes a new oppressor of the self. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember, and I didn't realize how universal this dynamic was, I read Franz Fanon and The Wretched of the Earth, I mean, I read that, but I didn't realize how true, how much he was right, I mean, he was talking about folk in Algeria and their struggle um, against French colonialism, and he he was a psychiatrist, and so he understood how folk internalized these structures, and I remember reading that in college and saying, wow, that's deep. I didn't realize how powerful it was until I had been um I was at St I was a priest at St James Baltimore and went up Bishop uh, Peter Fenty who is now Bishop Fenty in yes. Toronto invited me up to preach at St Paul's for it was Heritage Day Heritage Month which is like Black History Month here is Heritage oh. Month there and I debated about the sermon cuz I was going to talk about you know how we have internalized but I wasn't sure did my experience in the United States did it apply in Canada to uh, folk of the African diaspora who came through the Caribbean, through the West Indies for the most part. And I wasn't sure, but I took a gamble. I said, I'm gonna take a gamble at it. And I said, I remember when I was a little boy and one of my fondest memories was Saturday night when my mama was doing my sister's hair. They used <laughs> to them hot combs. Y'all remember those hot combs? I and do. Work with that Nigerian natural burn your ear. Yeah, and burn it, kids' ear. Oh, yeah, and the kid, the little girl be hollering and screaming. That's why black women are so tough. They've, they've toughened them up. That's, that's part of the matriculation of black women. Um, <laughs> that's why I, I cut, cut my hair. <laughs> I know, exactly. And as I was telling that story, folk were cracking up. I realized, and I told them we had this thing in Buffalo that used to, it was a relaxer. Yeah, and like, and it was called Conkaline. and it, and they had a jingle on the black radio station. If your hair is good and nappy, Concholine will make it happen. I mean, that was the internal for that. You remember that stuff? Well, I told that story in Toronto, Canada among folk from the diaspora, mostly from the Caribbean, the West Indies. They knew exactly what I was talking about. I told that story in England. They know exactly, I told that story in Africa. They know exactly what, this was the dynamic of internalizing the oppression yourself And then beginning to live out of that existence and that way instead out of the way of Jesus of Nazareth, who will set you free and will set us off. You see, that's what. So I think one thing we I really do. I mean, we have got to learn from Jesus of Nazareth, who did not internalize the oppression of the Roman Empire. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Jesus went back into his heritage and discovered how God would lead him. And that's how his way would set folk free. I am convinced that if we take this gospel seriously, it will really set us free and help us to become instruments of God setting us free. Paul says in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand fast and do not accept the yoke of slavery again. I mean, I really do believe that the real gospel, I'm not just talking about an airy fairy kind of up there somewhere. I'm talking about the real deal um, will actually show us the way for us to be free and for us to be agents of setting other folk free, no matter who they are, no matter what their color, that's the freedom, the joyful liberty of the children of God, as St. Paul said.
0: Is your church a beehive of activity in your community? If it's not, what could you do to make it so?
2: So I I I so agree with that and you know me I know yes I know you're
1: coming back with something you
2: know, Right 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 yeah. now, you know, I believe that I believe that the gospel will set us free Lord knows I believe that and I, I believe that we should not again as Paul said ever be again uh tethered by the yoke of slavery I I I believe that Now so now it's sort of like my my son said to me my 27 year old six foot lock wearing son he goes he said yeah he said i know he said i know christ is black i believe that and i believe god's on the side of the oppressed but what difference is that making to us now so <laughs> right so i would ask i believe all that and, and and but what what does that look like what difference does it make because here's the thing when we talk about this internalized oppression, you know, the Black Power Movement, one of the things that they focus on was self-love, right? Yeah. I, I, I get that. And, but, but it was, a, if we talk about it as this sort of revolutionary, if we will, transformative self-love, how does this sort of internalized oppression, if you will, manifest itself, not simply in terms of our ability to love who we are and all of our Blackness, but to love if black lives matter all black lives so we we internalize this oppression in as much as we foster and nurture sexism and patriarchalism right. in as much within the diaspora is in as much as we internalize uh and manifest uh, LGBTQ terrorism, uh uh because homophobia, okay, no, it's more than that, it's terrorism. Uh, uh under under the name of God, and it's sexism, uh under the under the name of God. And so how did that to me when you know, when we if we want to dig deep about internalized oppression, because here's the thing that Jesus did, and you write about Jesus, right? That Jesus let go of anything. The privileges that he had. He let go right. of anything that would keep him from uh manifesting God's more just future and that would keep him from truly being on the side of those who were were most he let it go, right? He let go of. Uh, the privilege of his maleness. He let go of the privilege of his Jewishness. He let go of even the privilege of his divinity because he died on that big cross. And so, you know, what is it we got to let go of? And uh, uh when I'm so I'm talking about internalized oppression. I know, you know, I got I, I know the thing about, you know, trying to get light, bright, and almost white and all that kind of stuff, you know, and straightening your hair and getting your ears burned to the crisp, trying people straightening your hair. I know about that, but I also know about patriarchalism, yeah, sexism. I also know about LGBTQ terrorism. And that to me, for black people is a sin and it's internalized oppression. Yes you begin
1: to act it out and act the way of the oppression that you've experienced. You in turn do it on somebody else. I want to suggest that the way you do that again, it's the Jesus way you walk the other way you turn the other cheek, you, you know, by that, not, I'm not talking about turning the other cheek and letting somebody else beat you up. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm saying you take that negative oppression and you turn it into a positive attribute, you see what I mean, that not only tries to set you free, but sets others free, that you begin to understand that, wait a minute, uh, I mean, one of the things that was, has been a change for me, a growing edge for me, was I always grew up um, um, passionately committed to the equality of Black folk. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, my daddy used to say, God didn't make anybody to be under anybody's foot. And, yeah. and at that time, he was talking about us. And, I, you know, that was it. What what I began to realize as the years went on, I said, wait a minute, if, if I don't want anybody's foot on me and my folk, then I don't want anybody's foot on anybody else. I don't care who they are. And that means uh, LGBTQ folk. That that means, um, um, I just was on a call yesterday about the Dalit folk of, of India and their struggle. Um, and I'm gonna make a video about it. I mean, you know, to support their struggle. I said, cause, cause I, injustice to anybody is a threat to justice for everybody, as Dr. King taught us a long time ago. And that's how you, you see what I mean? That's yeah. how you turn the other cheek, go to second mile. You take what was you meant to be oppression for you, and you turn that, you do what, what Gandhi called moral jujitsu. You take <laughs> that negative energy, and you turn it into something positive, not just for yourself, but you turn it into something positive for others, and you participate in setting other food free. Um, and you join with them in their struggle, you go, you go to Standing Rock. Um, with uh, with the Sioux Nation, um, you you stand with the Dali, and you stand at the border with folk coming across and Im- trying to immigrate. You work stand with the refugee. You stand with LGBTQ folk. You stand with Muslims who are being put down in this country by folk who supposed to be Christian. You stand. You see what I'm saying? You yeah. joining with people of goodwill, and y'all stand for good and righteousness. That's what love does. See, love yeah. ain't love if it's just in the clouds. You knew I was gonna get to love. I knew I was gonna
2: i was gonna ask you about that,
1: you, are you ask me about that? All right. yeah love always takes form takes flesh and lives I, you remember that tv that movie uh my fair lady um at that <laughs> at that song on the song the woman says to the man she said don't talk of love show me love you got to show it um you got to live it and do it and as you do it you will become it
2: and so see i i love that and i was gonna i was gonna let you go there because i was gonna ask you right <laughs> yeah I was going to ask you, we're, I, I see our time going, so I got to ask oh. this. And this will be a good wrap up about Black love. And here's, here's well
1: you read about love. that you're the one to write about that.
2: Now. Well, but but you know about that now because here's the thing with black love, and you know this. Let's 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 talk yeah. about like, that. You know, with our mamas and our daddies and our grandmamas, you know, yeah, they loved us and all that, you know, hug, hug, and they love us and they told us that uh, you know, Jesus loved us and that uh, and yeah. that we were they affirmed us for who we were and all that kind of stuff, but we also know. That black love meant, right? Sometimes, trouble, I uh, we, think we could get in trouble for this because you can't do this today. But sometimes yeah. black love meant go out there, get, the and switch. get that switch off that tree, true. and bring it on back in here into me. Now, we, you know, you can't do that today, but we know yeah. you and I grew up it's that. At that, that black love, where my mother used to say to me, "Don't come back with no you know, twins." Well, don't <laughs> come back with no twins, because if you did that, you was really in trouble. Yeah. you had to come back with that long thing that that oh. stung when it hit you. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, or my mother used to say, "Don't you roll your eyes at me, oh. girl?" And oh. Oh. my mother would say, "I bought you into this world, and I'll take you take out of." You it. Out. That's now, right. now, now that <laughs> black love. <laughs> Black <laughs> love calls you out. Yeah. Black love doesn't doesn't suffer fools lightly. No. Black love doesn't stand for wrong. It'll call you out, and it'll call you out in a hard way. Black love is Malcolm X saying, "You know, no. well, how can you black folks be Christian?" That's black love. Now, now, how? So, what? Tell me about black love. How how does that function in our? Diaspora, how does that function in our black church? I want to talk about bl- black
1: love. Wow, you know, I saw it. There was a remember when Kamala uh, Harris was debating with uh, Mike Pants, mm-hmm. and there are several moments uh, <laughs> incredible moments. I mean, when that sister kept saying. I'm talking. <laughs> I, said, oh, oh. I said, oh, Lord. But there was a moment. I saw somebody put it on social media where she had that look. She was looking right. at it. And and somebody in the caption wrote, that's the same look your mama gave you right. when she knew you was lying. And she <laughs> you just keep talking and hang yourself. That's the Black love you talk about. That's right. um, it is the genius of of, of compelling truth I uh, like the compelling truth. A compelling truth. And and sometimes <laughs> letting you hang yourself with the lie. But but compelling truth. That that is the genius. I mean, it really is. Um that that love um is is not anything goes. Yeah. It's yeah. about reaching for the highest, the best, it's the noblest. It is Langston Hughes's poem from mother to son. Um, I'm still climbing, I'm still climbing, and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. So yeah. don't you sit down, boy. Don't you sit down, because you're kind of tired. That's the kind of love that makes, that's what will lift you up and liberate you. It may hurt why you have to do it, because you gotta stand up, but, and it may hurt, and that's okay. But it's a hurt that can heal in the long run, Um, because the motive is good. The motive is. The motive is love. Yeah. It's right. love. is to lift you above the mud and the mire and the muck. You are not niggers. You are not slaves. And don't you act like are it. not X, Y, Z, whatever this world calls you. You are the children of God. Stand up like that. Stand up, lift up your heads and walk with dignity. And, and act like it.
2: Just because we're act children like of God doesn't mean that we're going to act like children of God. And, and that, you know, when I'm thinking about Black love, too, yes, it's hard, it's critiquing, it's truth. And and yeah. that's the kind of love we need to speak to ourselves, right, yeah. as, as a, as a quote-unquote Black church, as the African diaspora. We got to say, oh, no, you can't do that uh that ain't gonna work exactly Exactly. right you can't do that and we got to be hard about that the way our our parents are because we know that they were hard and our grandmamas were hard on us because they knew the world that we had to navigate and they knew that it was the only way that we would survive stay alive and that we could ever Become free, and so that's that's yeah. what I'm talking about when I talk about you know Bishop Curry, Black Love, and how that's an indicting kind of love, and it, it's hard and it hurts, and you call people out, but you do it out of love. So, yes. so okay, I gotta say one more thing, and then, and then I promise we're gonna end this because I, I know. and
1: so I don't he,
2: know how they're gonna edit this, but anyway, I <laughs> know <laughs> I can keep going. But, but here we are. Go ahead, Doc. Go ahead. In this, in in our ninety some percent white church, you know, and we've got a black PB, Lord mm-hmm. Jesus. We've got uh these five black female bishops.
1: Yeah,
2: we've 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 got. Did you see the slate? In Chicago, I don't know when this is going to show, but you know, there might be a bishop by then. But did you see that slate?
1: For, I, I didn't double down. I just said, "Wait a minute, am I reading?" Wait a minute.
2: <laughs> I know. All people of uh, blessed with ebony grace. Yeah. On on that slate, and okay, I'll indict myself. We've got a black dean of an Episcopal seminary that ain't never happened in the history of in the history of the,
1: of the church. I mean. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, but here's and she's a she, huh? And she's a she. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, it's like, wow, this is
2: deep. <laughs> right. We're right. So, so, so here's the thing, and you and I've had these conversations before, that this must matter for something other than being first, right? And if so what, first and last,
1: then it doesn't matter.
2: It don't matter. So what? What difference does our Black presence and should our Black presence make in this church right now? What does it mean? Let's go back to where you started. What does it mean to be a nation within a nation within this church when our time is done Uh, and, and, and people shouldn't have to look up to say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We had them first Black people that came through there then. When our time is done, how should this church be made different? and become a little bit closer, a little bit closer to what it means to be church because of our Black
1: presence. Right. I, then, I really that's do that's believe, remember, there's a tape of Walter Dennis. That's what haunts me. Or he, I don't remember, it was before he died, obviously, but, and I, I don't know if it was his last sermon, but I remember Black Ministries produced it. And And in that tape, he said, and I'm paraphrasing from memory, He said, did the office that you hold, did you ennoble it? Did you call it back to its origins? Did you make it great by helping the church to become what Jesus meant for it to be? Mm -hmm. That is your mission. That is your task. And I really do believe that people like you and people like me and people like who are at this conference, who are leaders, who are leaders of color, who are black leaders, that we have a moral duty and a moral obligation to make sure that we've done everything we can to make the church and the world of which we are part something closer to God's dream, to the beloved community Whereas the old slaves used to say, there's plenty of good room for all of God's children. And we must take every opportunity we can and must be dedicated to that mission wherever we are and wherever we have opportunity. I said something to somebody, oh, this is a while as an interview I was doing, and they were asking me about the royal wedding. <laughs> and they said, What did your heritage have to do with that? I said, Well, one. Just me being there did something. I mean, it's like I'm obviously black. ain't no doubt about that. so yeah I mean you know that's obvious. I said but the thing that moved me most deeply was that I had an opportunity to be present um and the royal family was most gracious. they really were. but to be present um at what once was the seat of the very Empire that enslaved my folk. And I don't say that to hurt or harm anybody. I don't mean it that way. That was just a fact.
2: Yeah, it's what it is. The
1: one thing that I could do, the one thing I could do was to carry the message my ancestors taught me when they used to quote Booker D. Washington and said, don't let anybody drag you so low as to hate them. That's why I preached that sermon about love. But the other thing I was able to do, and this is what we must always do. I was able to conjure up the slave ancestors and to quote one of their songs at the center of power in the world. Hmm. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. Their wisdom, the insight of those slaves, of those Africans, was brought to bear in the 21st century moment and 2 billion people heard something about our African ancestors and their wisdom. That you take whatever opportunity you have to bring the good and the wisdom of that heritage to bear on the present moment in which you live. And then you will have done your job.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah.
2: I, I I, agree. And I, this this sense of accountability, because we're stepping into a legacy. Yeah. And it was a legacy of people for me say this before of a people who fought for freedom. Even when they knew that the freedom they were fighting for was a freedom that they would never ever see. Yeah, we, they wouldn't see but they fought for that freedom anyhow yes. because they believed in the freedom that yes. was the justice of god yes. and because they fought for that freedom bishop curry yes you and i are sitting here today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as dean as pb as nominally free black people
1: yeah, nominally but yeah
2: yeah nominally you're right, <laughs> because, yep. because we have yet to get to that place, yes, where we are seeing the freedom that is the justice of God, and we won't get there right until those people on the most under that aren't sitting where we're sitting. Yes. That, that don't have, that we aren't accountable to this institution. I keep saying to myself, I'm not accountable to this institution that is the Episcopal Church. I'm accountable to God's just future. And that means that I am accountable yes. to the very, very, very least of these. And I am accountable to those people who have gone before me to fight for a freedom that they never, ever experienced. And right. so if I'm going to make a difference in the time that i have to live on this earth <laughs> yeah and yeah. and make a difference in this window of opportunity that i've been given by the universe because of the folks who came before me then it seems to me that that difference that i must make is the difference of bringing us a little bit closer a little bit closer yes yes staying on the arc <laughs> that bends toward justice yes and bringing us a little bit closer to where that arc bends yes and if i'm not doing that it then seems got- that's right i've betrayed yes. what it means to be christian i've betrayed what it means to be black cuz it ain't about me nope. it's about a legacy that to- talks about freedom yeah it's a movement it's a movement that's it's right a movement. and that's what that's Amen. what that's what haunts me and I hope that's that to me that's what has to haunt not in a bad way but haunt to mo- inspire all of us who are in this diaspora of people blessed with ebony grace because to be in this diaspora of people blessed with ebony grace means more than simply being blessed with ebony grace. It right. means me into a legacy of, right. of people who are on the ark that bent toward freedom. Yeah, you've been blessed, you are meant to bless. There you go, and I've been
1: blessed in this conversation today. Thank you, Bishop Curry. Oh, thank you, Dean. Thank you. Dean. <laughs> I always look, I do, I always go back to seminary when I sit and talk with you.
2: Oh. <laughs> I go back I to did. church. I learned
1: something. I'm telling you.
2: I go back to church. I tell you, there are some folks, I believe in the gospel, but you really believe in the gospel. Every stop. time I, I talk to you, I am indicted by the gospel. And so <laughs> let our church be indicted by the gospel. So every time I talk Amen. to you, I, I, I wither and say, oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> <Just stop. laughs> I love you, sister. You're awesome. I love
2: you much. I love oh. you
1: much. Take care. You
0: too. <laughs> well, that's a wrap on this episode of The Way of Love with Bishop Michael Curry. If you'd like to learn more about Dean Kelly Brown Douglas, visit the Episcopal Church Divinity School website at utsnyc.edu. If you'd like to know more about the Office of Black Ministries, visit black blackministries As always, you can learn more about Bishop Curry and the way of love, including how to create your own personal rule of life at episcopalchurch.org. Thanks this week to Dean Kelly Brown-Douglas, the Office of Black Ministries, and the International Black Clergy Conference. Bishop Curry, Nancy Davidge, Jerusalem Greer, Chris Sekema, Jeremy Tackett, and Scott Van Pletsenrand. I'm Sandy Milien, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love.
1: The way of Jesus is the way of love the way of love can change the world.